Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, and I am super excited to have Dr. Molly James on our podcast today. She's going to tell you a little bit about her history, um, but quickly, she uh, was an ICU uh, it was an ICU doctor um, during COVID, and she um, decided to treat patients differently outside early treatment, essentially, um, outside of the hospital. So she opened her own clinic, and she's going to talk a little bit about that. And now she's fighting for medical freedom, and she will um, talk to you, uh, talk to us about that, and um, you know, and fighting for all of us for medical freedom. Because remember. If, if one of us loses it, doesn't matter what the decision is, we all lose it. And it's not just about one subject. It's about medical freedom in general. Um, so uh, without further ado, Molly, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. Good morning. Yeah, super excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit about your history and why you're on this podcast. Yeah, so I'm actually a trained general surgeon and critical care doc. So I started out as a trauma surgeon. Um, in about 2016, I quit operating and just went to full-time ICU. Um, but kind of during that period, I also um, realized that I didn't have all the tools to help my patients. So I am certified in functional medicine. Um, so I've had a clinic with that before. I was kind of taking a break as COVID was was coming on the scene. I was working 10 days a month and really happy because I was like skiing and playing. Um, and when COVID hit, I just knew I needed to like they were calling for volunteers in New York. So I went out to New York, um, volunteered in the ICU for the first time, 10 days, um, right at the peak of the pandemic. It was pretty bad. And then I kept going back and forth between St. Louis and New York for about 18 months. Um, so I was in three different surges in the ICU. Um, kind of a couple of things happened toward the end of last year, the summer about this time. Um, one of them is... There was a surge here in Missouri and my friends started posting, you know, what a t- drama, like what a terrible night it was. All these people died. And I started pushing back on social media and said, well, did you bother to treat anybody? Because by that time I had heard of ivermectin. I had done my research and due diligence and was ready to, to rock and roll. And what happened is they started deleting me and blocking me <laughs> and removing me from the, the critical care groups online. Um, my orders in the hospital for ivermectin as I was getting COVID patients were blocked and deleted by other people. Um, and I was limited in how I could treat patients. So at that point, by kind of by the end of summer, I knew that we had better treatments and that my hands were being tied and I couldn't treat properly in the ICU. I even tried to give things like high dose um, thiamine. Uh, I tried to get IV vitamin C. Um, I tried to give high dose steroids and I was questioned. Um, and ciproheptadine. Um, and I just got a lot of pushback and kind of, that was one thread that was happening, um, that I was really frustrated about. And the other thing is the vaccine mandates came down and having had COVID, um, in early 2020, I was one of the first people in our area to get it probably from one of my ICU patients. I had natural immunity and I was pretty up to speed on that. So I had no intention of taking an experimental shot. So both of those things kind of converged in September of last year. And being an overachiever, I was fired from all three jobs that I was working. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for standing up for medical freedom. Um, because if we don't stand up to this now, where, where could we end up? I mean, honestly. Um, so tell me about your functional medicine background and how that helped you probably treat COVID patients, I'm assuming. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Functional medicine, if I, people are probably familiar, but it's root cause medicine, right? So it's asking the why until you get to the last why. So if you're depressed, why? And, oh, your vitamin D level is low. Why? Oh, your gut's not doing well. Well, why? And so if you fix it at the root cause, it takes care of everything else. Um, in some ways, it makes my job incredibly hard. And in some ways, it's incredibly easy, right? Because the path to health is pretty good. It's eat a good diet, move yourself, drink plenty of water, and detoxify. <laughs> um, those are kind of the basics that we get back to. Um, so that absolutely is helping take care of like the long COVID and the vaccine injured, right? Because these are patients with an overwhelming inflammatory response, kind of an autoimmune situation. Um, so knowing how to downregulate the immune system through supplements and herbals, in addition to the prescription medications, makes our treatment a lot more effective and powerful, I believe. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about... Um how you got into functional medicine, if you don't mind. We talk a lot in this podcast about functional medicine. Yeah. Yep. So um, I was a general surgeon. So I had trained for um, 11 years at that point. I'd been in practice a couple of years. And I had a girl, two things. I had a girl in my office that I took out her gallbladder and she was still having belly pain. And I had two options. I sent her to the gastroenterologist who said, well, you don't have any common duct stones. You don't have any stones left over. You don't need an ERCP. And we had hyoscamine to give her. So Bentil to help antispasmatic, spasmatic. And I realized she wasn't responding to that. And I said, well, my toolbox is limited. I don't know how to help her from here. So um, I was still operating at the time. And I started with the gastrointestinal module through Institute of Functional Medicine. Mm -hmm. So I was seeing patients all the time for scopes, for belly pain, reflux, constipation. So what I did is I said, I'll do your scope, but I want you to go do this elimination diet. And maybe let's try to heal your gut up a little bit. And it was pretty dramatic, the response to that. So, well, my, my wife and I, um, my wife is also a pharmacist and we often talk about gut health issues because we talk about functional medicine in our pharmacy all the time. And, um, when it comes to, you know, these gut diagnosis, whether it's IBS or whether it's, you know, think of one, I mean, GERD, you know, reflux, like you were saying, it's like, we don't lack a drug. I mean, it's probably caused by diet, right? I mean, and all of us somewhat have irritable bowel syndrome if we eat the wrong stuff. Right. <laughs> you no, know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, you know, the doc- there are doctors in the world who are certain what they're doing is the only and right way. And that's a very limited mindset. And I think those are the people who are certain what they're doing for COVID is the perfect thing. And then there are some of us who say, well, that certain approach fails a lot of people. And I've got some other things we could try. And some of them help some people and some of them help other people. But this one way isn't the way for everybody. And so I think that's one of the reasons that, I mean, intensivists are the worst with COVID right now. Like they're all like quadruple vaxxed and you know, wear the mask and doubling down on all of that instead of saying, gee, what I'm doing is not really working. And there's one of our people that's doing something different. So maybe I should be curious about what that is because my outcomes aren't so great. Yeah. And I mean, you know, now for some of us that, you know, we're questioning a lot of things from the beginning. I mean, you look two and a half years in and, you know, it's obvious masks didn't work. We, we, we knew that from the beginning. They, they, they don't stop viral spread. Most masks don't. And, you know, it's pretty obvious now that the vaccines don't work. 
Um, you know, I mean, America's greatest doctor, Dr. Fauci, got COVID and he was double vaxxed and double boosted and bragging about it. So, you know, um, it doesn't lend a lot of credibility for the vaccine. No, not at all. It never has. And again, I'm sure you've covered this a lot, but there's kind of two thresholds when you're looking at something like that. One is efficacy, right? Does it work? Clearly it doesn't, but we never crossed the safety threshold. And this is one of the most dangerous products that's ever been given on the planet. And we're having people drop like flies. We're having people with blood clots, strokes. Now children, they're normalizing children having strokes and heart attacks. Like that is not the new normal that we wanted. And can you expand on that and give us some examples? Because it's almost, I'll be honest with you, Dr. James, it's almost unbelievable for me to, to, to believe that. Maybe I don't want to believe it, but to give us some examples of, of all these vaccine injuries you're talking about, especially in the younger population. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be hitting marathon runners, especially hard. So I don't know why that is. I think that's a question we need to ask. Um, so I have a gentleman who's in his forties. He was running 20 some, you know, I don't know how many miles a week, but like more than 10 miles a day. So a lot in my book. Um, yeah, he was running a lot, extremely fit, never had a health issue. He got the shot to keep his job and within 12 hours had chest pain within 24 hours, couldn't get out of bed. So completely disabled. Um, POTS syndrome. So whenever he would walk, he would have this reactive tachycardia to the point he would have chest pain, shortness of breath and get dizzy. Um, that among, brain fog has been a terrible thing. And we know these shots that the lipid nanoparticles go everywhere, right? They cross the blood brain barrier and they're delivering spike protein to the brain. Um, so this is the reason you're seeing all these neurologic issues, cardiac issues. I also think, um, there's a component of the spike causing uh, vasculitis and endothelial damage clotting in the circulation. So we're seeing a predominance of organ dysfunction, brain and heart in those organs that need the most oxygen delivery. So, yeah, I think it, is it, and, and um, help me out here. Is it Dr. Malone or is it McCullough? That's the cardiologist. McCullough. McCullough. The, and we'll be talking about your gateway to freedom conference coming up. Cause he's going to be there. Mm -hmm. um, he mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast, he talked about why it affected, um, high caliber athletes and, and their cardiac function. And I can't remember, I think it had something to do with, um, I don't remember, but he did, he did address that something to do with, um, when they, when they work out intensely, the, uh, the vaccine does something with the heart or something like that. And I can't remember what he said, but, um, that's why it's affecting when you look at it's, it's affecting a lot of young athletes, you know, high caliber athletes. Mm -hmm. Yep. I listened to that podcast and I don't remember that specific part. I know, you know, for those of us who aren't running 10 miles a day in elite athletes, we never really tap out our hearts, right? We never stress our hearts to that level. Yeah. So if there's any dysfunction, you're right. going to see it in these people first. Um, the latest number I had, I was on a TV show yesterday with a pediatrician in Houston, Dr. Angie Farella. There are over 300 children who have died of this shot. And that number is probably, that's out of theirs. And that number is probably much, much higher. Um, so VAERS has on the, the the government website for vaccine injury, VAERS has reported that 300 children have died because of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And do you know off the top of your head how many children have died because of COVID? Um, I do. So the last number I heard is around 1,000 to 1,100 total over the two and a half year period. Right, right. And if you look into those, there's probably some underlying conditions 
definitely that. They didn't die of COVID. They died with COVID of their other conditions, like a lot of adults. Yeah. Yeah. Because I noticed, I I saw, um, you know, young children that had leukemia and they tested positive for COVID and they listed the death as COVID. So um, I didn't see them personally, but I I, I heard about those those kind of incidences. So, yeah. So it sounds like the shot is way more dangerous than COVID for children. Well, I'm thinking about it this way. I mean, I've heard stories, um, you know, our doctor group meets every week and we talk and it's like, oh, a nine month old died here two weeks after the shot and a nine year old had a stroke here and a 12 year old had a heart attack. So we're talking about these cases. But can you imagine being a parent who gave this to your child and your child has a fatal or near fatal event immediately after? Like most people can't acknowledge that those two things are related and they certainly won't approve any testing to prove that it is. So those numbers are probably much higher. I don't know. I'm guessing because parents have a disconnect, right? There's a cognitive dissonance between what they just did and what it caused in their child. Yeah. I, I mean, I will tell you, I, I had a son and I didn't realize it until all this stuff came out a couple of years ago. It was about, about a year ago. Maybe it was earlier this, this um, spring, but um my son, when he was six months old, had uh, helped me out since you're a general surgeon. Interception, is that what it's called? Interception, yep. Yeah, interception. And I didn't realize until a pediatrician that was kind of on the same page I am, and we were at a group one, a, a group meeting one time, and he says um, he was talking about that and how vaccines can cause that. And I'm like, and of course, I talked to my wife about it. And, you know, one of the first things she says, being, a, you know, a loving, defending mother, no, it's not related. It's not related because it was the timing was way off. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, but it is, it is kind of, it, it's just kind of, um, you know, odd, you know, and so. Um, it's also curious that Pfizer just got approval for a blood thinner for children. We've never had that before. Um, so not only are they profiting on the front end to give a shot, they're profiting on the back end to treat the complications of the shot. This is just so unethical. Um, I don't know why my colleagues can't connect the dots a little faster because they've really lost. The corporate medical complex has lost all credibility. Yeah, I agree. And I have lost a lot of faith in a lot of doctors. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, and, and maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad because now a lot of patients have too. So they're doing their own research mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're, they're not just taking, you know, um, a doctor's word for it. They're doing their own research and for good, for good reason, because there's a lot of corruption that's going on. I, I think that, I think hospitals are some of the most corrupt organizations in the nation, probably private, nonprofit, for-profit, um, and they have benefited off of COVID by the billions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, the conflicts of interest in this, the conflicts with the CDC, the NIH, um, how the funding rolls out. We know from behind the scenes that NIH runs funding for all of the research organizations. So anybody within those organizations, not only is there financial there's this conflict of interest that they wouldn't let them give interviews. You know, they were speaking up behind the scenes and shut down or lost funding for their lab. So the corruption is, is financial, but it's also widespread just suppression of, and it's a lack of free dialogue, which we can't have in science or medicine. 
Yeah, that's one thing. I think it was, I don't remember if it was Malone's interview or McCullough talking about um, kind of the same subject, informed consent. And, you know, that's one thing that we're not, with these vaccines, for instance, we're not really giving a lot of informed consent, you know, and tell them the, the, the benefits versus the risks. Well, and my problem with the hospitals is this. They told their doctors, so these are documented, we have letters, we have correspondence, a corporate medical entity run by businessmen and accountants told doctors, you cannot talk about the vaccine. You can't discourage people from taking it. That's misinformation. You cannot prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Um, and then they profit on the back end, right? They're suppressing early treatment. They're forcing the vaccines and they're making so much money on the backside. So not only were the corporate medical people doing that, but then the political organizations such as the AMA, the APHA, um, the ASHA, and all of the medical boards got in on it. And I'm currently under attack from the American College of Surgeons, which I'm not boarded through them. I'm not an MD. They have nothing to do with me other than I signed up to be a fellow of their college. So I'm an FACS. But if they sanction me, that's reportable to the National Practitioner Data Bank. And they're saying that I'm a danger to the public and defrauding the public and spreading misinformation and unprofessional. It's just unreal. It's, it's just hard to believe. Yeah. So during this, um, you know, a lot of doctors have formed groups to help support medical freedom. Um, and tell us a little bit, you're having a conference um, called Gateway to Freedom. Is that correct? Correct. So I'm affiliated with a group called Co Global COVID Summit. It's founded by Dr. Malone. Um, Dr. McCullough has been involved on and off. Um, several other prominent doctors that a lot of your audience has probably heard of have been involved. Um, and we've had a number of medical freedom talks around the country. The first one I was involved in was last fall in Ocala, Florida. We had one in Kansas City, Indianapolis, Nashville. They've been kind of across the country, but we haven't had one yet in St. Louis. So um, when I went to Pensacola last, um, in May, I actually met some military people and I had been really concerned about what's happening in the military anyway, because they're forcing the shots on young, healthy people that are so fit soldiers, most of which have had COVID and are fine. Um, and they're kicking them out if they don't get it. So when I met a couple of those people and heard their story live, I said, that's what we need to do at our conference is we need to not only bring the doctors in, but we need to highlight the military and what they're going through. Um, so we're doing that next week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday is focused for medical professionals and healthcare leaders. Um, that is going to be what we're doing. We're going to have like deep discussions about what we're doing to help patients, what treatments are working, what do we need to do to be ready for the next things. And that's going to be in the vaccine injury realm, long COVID, um, those kind of things. Friday is the public day. We have two sessions on Friday. One is going to be the adult side where we're going to talk about, we're kind of going to run through this, right? And we're going to break down the data for people who maybe are starting to see the light. Maybe they got the shots and now they're like, this isn't adding up and I want more information. I don't know where to go. Um, so we're going to have an adult session. We're going to have um, Ryan Cole. Um, Christina Parks is going to come and tell us the mechanisms of the vaccine injury. Why are we seeing this? What is that doing in our bodies? Um, Peter McCullough is going to be our featured speaker that day. We have some interesting other people too. We have life insurance whistleblowers. Um, I have Ed Dowd who's going to come talk to us about that 19 to 49 year old increased mortality, 40% over baseline um, in excess deaths and what that means. Um, so it'll be an interesting day. And then in parallel, we're doing a parent summit. 
So, you know, uh, people with children, you know, they're like, we're going back to school. What the heck, you know, and their kids have been through hell the last two years. And how do they advocate? And I've got a group of pediatricians, including Dr. Kirk Milhone, who is an MD, PhD. Um, He's a pediatric cardiologist with a PhD in inflammatory conditions of the heart. So I think his his opinion is pretty valuable in this area. Yeah. Um, So and they're going to run a parent summit to give parents the weapons and tools that they need to defend their children as they go back to school. Um, and then Saturday is our focus on the military. Um, so I have you, you alluded to uh, informed consent. I have a couple of military doctors who were kicked out and removed um, that have inform- information on the DMED database, um, as well as a bunch of service members who are going to tell us how that's leaving our military vulnerable at a really bad time to do that. Wow, what a great conference! Um, I'm sure the the uh, pediat the pediatrician that specializes in cardiac and inflammation of the heart things you're talking about. I'm sure the media has tried to discredit him already. So he's one of the most wonderful people on the planet. He and his wife, his wife's actually a pediatric anesthesiologist. Um, and he's had one hit that I know of. He had a conversation in Hawaii talking about informed consent and asking some questions. Um, He's also a pastor, so he's a pretty tough person to target. Um, they do global mission trips and have a free clinic in Maui. Yeah. So, um, yes, he has, but also he's pretty difficult to to target. Yeah, sounds like uh, sounds like he might be. So like, we got a comment from LinkedIn from, Am- from Andrea Timberlake, and I want you to answer this if you can read this, uh, Dr. James. So I don't agree with the comment about Pfizer profiting for both vaccine and blood thinner. thinner uh, vaccines are super important and side effects do exist because every person is different. So having an adequate blood thinner for a side effect is actually responsible practice. Let me answer first before I let you answer. Coming from mm-hmm. a pharmacist standpoint, mm-hmm. um, it is not normal to have to give a blood thinner for any kind of drug side effect. Um, especially if the, if it was if the benefits outweigh the risk, then maybe, but we know at best the COVID vaccine works 12% of the time. Is it worth giving a blood thinner, Andrea, for a drug that might work 12% of the time and for a disease that 99.99% of people survive? Go ahead, Dr. James, if you want to answer that question. So, yeah, I might need to read the question again, but are we questioning? I don't agree with the comment about Pfizer profiteering from both vaccine and blood thinner. So Pfizer has profited I think their like quarterly profits are in the 10 billion range. Um, it is far exceeds anything they've ever done. And the majority of that is coming from vaccines and Paxlovid, which is worthless. Um, the blood thinner I was talking about, they've approved a blood thinner for children. Um, we've never needed a blood thinner for children. So we can use things that are already approved and generic in that age group. Um, I don't want a child running around playing on a playground with a blood thinner. That is, I mean, they're going to fall down and hit their head. This is a huge thing that they deal with in the pediatric ICU um, for a shot, for a problem that was zero risk to them. That is illogical. Very, very much so. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. Um, so where, where do we go from here? Because, I, you know, honestly, when, when, when this thing first started, my wife and I honestly, and we already had a podcast, but we honestly thought about not getting involved in it just because we thought it'd be over in like one or two months. Um, And here we are two and a half years later. So where do we go from here? Because the thing I'm worried about is now that 
you know, the illness is going away. Um, how do we make sure that the people that, you know, um, how do we make sure and hold people responsible for, for, you know, mandates and, you know, even some of the doctors, I'll be honest with you, Dr. James, I mean, pediatricians or I was talking to somebody last night at dinner, a doctor last night at dinner, um, gynecologists that recommend their pregnant women get, get vaccinated. That I mean, is malpractice. I mean, That's absolute it, sure, it sure sounds like to me. Yeah. I mean, we have never in the history of any drug told a woman that is pregnant to get the drug unless it has been proven safe and effective by long-term studies. And, and, you know, so where do you think we're going with that? I mean, are, are, are medical professionals going to be held, held responsible for some of this? So I think this starts with the dumbing down of schools because you're not going to teach kids to be a part of the rebellion, right? So this is dumbing down of schools. This is dumbing down of medical schools. This is people not taking responsibility for themselves. And let me give you an example outside of COVID because I think sometimes that makes makes the light go on because I've had a lot of people tell me like I was forced to get the shot to keep my job. I was forced to get the shot to go travel. Well, no one forced anyone to do anything. It was a choice. And there was a gentleman working. I don't know if you remember a few months ago, a tornado hit the Amazon warehouse in our area and it killed people. And one of the stories that came out of that is my boss won't let me leave. We all have an instinct in our body to stay alive for survival, right? So if you feel you're in danger, I don't care what your boss says, you protect yourself. And it's just like no one forced you to do anything. They said to stay and you chose to stay and you died. So it's kind of the same thing with this. And I think what you're going to see happening is these officials who forced it and coerced it and created incentives are going to say, you chose it. It's not our fault that things are a disaster Um, so people need to take back their autonomy and realize you're completely responsible for your own life and your own circumstances and stop taking this. And we're going to have to get involved. You're going to have to figure out who to vote for and vote out the people who aren't doing the right thing. And to me, medical freedom is the freedom upon which all others are built. So without that, nothing else really matters. Yeah. With, without medical freedom and we call it medical freedom, but really, it's just freedom and it's liberty in general. Because if we don't have freedom over what can go in our own personal bodies or what kind of procedures we want done, then we've got nothing. We've got no freedom. And and we are, we are, it's worse than being a slave. Yep. And, um, and I, I've said, you know, if you want the shot, go get it. But my only caveat to that is I don't believe anyone has true informed consent because they've had safe and effective since day one. And it's, you know, the people pushing this, the people profiting have 95% of the airwaves and we are censored. So nobody gets both sides, right? If you had free and fair consent or informed consent and you had access to all the data and you want to choose to get 85 boosters, I'm all for that. Like do what you want to do. It's fine. But without that informed consent, I don't think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. I've been, I've been saying it for years. In fact, years of my pharmacy practice, Hey, Mm -hmm. don't, don't, you know, I'm going to educate and empower you to take char- charge of your own health, but don't just trust me. Do your own research as much as possible, but ultimately it's, it's your choice and it should be. So it's not about not getting the shot. It's about the choice to get the shot or not get the shot, wear a mask or not wear a mask. It should just be a choice, a yeah. personal choice. 
Yep. And I think for people who've kind of seen the light and we, we know what's going on, we see the tyranny, we see the restriction of our civil liberties. It's hard not to get feisty, right? It's hard to kind of maintain a calm presence and fight against this because it's so infuriating, you know, for me to be attacked by a medical board for helping people and save their lives. I never thought we would be here. So it is so infuriating to me how stupid the world is right now. But we have to still be logical and kind. And we have to people who aren't quite there yet, we have to give them questions until we see a sliver of light that maybe they want more information so that when they do start to wake up, we can bring them on on board with what we're seeing and help them see the whole picture. Yeah, I think it was either last week or the week before I interviewed um, Dr. Bowden. Mm-hmm. Dr. Merrick and Dr. Apter. You probably heard of all three. I of them. did. I saw that. I was actually in Ireland with Dr. Bowden. So oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah that that was that, that looked like a lot of fun. That looked like a lot of fun. Um, anyway, and I think it was Dr. Apter that said that you know we're this far in now, and there's a lot of people that they're just not believing it anymore. On the non-medical side and medical side, it's like, yeah, this is just not making sense. So he really honestly believes that a majority of people aren't believing what what all they're telling us. So that's a good sign. That is a very good sign. It just got so ludicrous, right? And I think a good example of that is monkeypox. Yeah. So they have cried from the rooftops that monkeypox is a blazing emergency and you've got to go get vaccinated. And people are just like, eh, no. Like it's not yeah. even people, yeah, people, right, right. Well, they've they've cried wolf and and way overreacted to something. And I think that these government agencies in healthcare, FDA, CDC, NIH, they WHO, they've lost all credibility. Maybe yeah. not all. But they've lost most of their credibility. And you probably saw the announcement yesterday. Risha Walensky said we're going to overhaul the CDC, and I need to read more into what that means. But somebody said or somebody was critiquing that and said, it's actually giving them more power. So I hope that's not the case. Um, And it may be an issue where a lot of people in that organization are good. It's just corrupt at the top because there's so much financial incentive. I don't know what, what are all those levers are. Um, The whole organization probably isn't bad, but they have acted badly. One of their missions is actually vaccine safety. So the fact that they didn't have a campaign launching the, the, I can't call them vaccines, the shots, and then have a monitoring program. So we're on top of that. And every doctor who's giving a shot knows how to report a side effect. Like that was a fail. Yeah. They, they didn't do a very good job at all. No. Fears <laughs> no. was backed up before they started the COVID shots. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So as we wrap, thank you for all this information. And as we wrap this podcast up, um, a few things, first of all, what do you have a passion for? Yeah, I really love taking a patient who's motivated, um, who's been to a bunch of doctors and gotten the runner. And I don't love that part, but when they get the runaround and they come to me and I can actually give them tools to help them, um, that lights my fire. I had a patient come into our office with severe neurologic issues. They actually thought he was autistic, like, um, after COVID because he had such brain fog and couldn't function. Um, he was told to follow up with, um, a neurologist in two months. And I got him in that day. We did a couple hyperbaric oxygens and IV infusion. And within three days he was back to running again 
moved out of his parents' house. He had had to move in. He started driving again. Um, and was by the time two months was there, he was completely better and didn't need a neurologic evaluation. So um, I just like applying what we know logically to help people in a faster, cheaper, better way that with less side effects. Um, I love getting to the root cause and figuring things out for people. Um, and just, I'm an advocate. So I have patients who need something and to go through the system right now is bulky and clunky and lots of barriers. And I like how like bulldozing those barriers for them and getting what they need in a timely manner. Yeah. And, um, it looks like there's your website, correct? Mm-hmm. And one thing that we can think of maybe if one thing came good out of this, um, the last two and a half years is that people question the medical system and they're seeking alternative, alternative treatments or alternative practitioners out of the typical traditional um, corporate healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of doctors like yourself that, you know, have went out on their own and been very successful because patients are seeking alternatives to the big corporate hospitals or, or big corporate clinics. Yeah, right now, they you know if you go in, you're going to get the runaround. You're going to get berated on wearing a mask. You're going to get 20 questions on why you didn't get the shot if you didn't. Um, and then maybe after all of that, they'll address why you're actually there. Um, so it's a lot of runaround, and it's a lot of lack of personal interaction because it's corporatized. So I would say find a doctor who's going to take care of you, who's invested in you, who cares about you. And we'll, we'll stand alongside you while you make your own choices and help you on your journey. Amen. So tell us about your um, website and how to get a hold of you. So for on the clinic side, it's jamesclinic.com. Not the James Clinic. That is a dental clinic in Ireland. So just jamesclinic.com. Um, it's right there. So we have a couple of options to do. We have COVID care. We have a la carte. We have a concierge program where you can join our clinic and get what you need all the time. Um, so lots of options there. We do hyperbaric oxygen. We do IV vitamin infusions. Um, so I'm, I'm the, the head of it, of course. And then we have a few nurse practitioners and I have a couple of other docs that work with us um, from on COVID specifically. Um, and we're always looking to expand that. And then again, our conference is gateway, the number two freedom online. So I would encourage everybody, if you've never been to a freedom event, get there because being in a room with other people who have integrity and are speaking truth and just patriots and believe in our constitutional rights, um, there's nothing like it. And you can live stream it on Epic times, but just being in the room with those people networking and meeting people and hearing their stories is so powerful. So I encourage everyone to come out if it's within their, their range. That's awesome. And I want to, Andrea has a question to follow up. Okay. If you want to, if we want to go over this. So I appreciate that you addressed my question. However, the meaning of my question was lost in interpretation. Pfizer doesn't profit from a blood thinner. So my question is, Dr. James, is it a Pfizer product, the blood thinner you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Well, then that answers that question. It does. Unless it is prescribed and filled. So the buck stops with the physician and the pharmacist. Well, I'm a pharmacist. You're a physician. Um, we also know that drug companies make money on that transaction too. So yes, pharmacists and physicians would also, but um, let's address the last issue. Also, getting to a decision to administer a blood thinner to a child is not a single doctor question, but a collaborative one. As far as giving a children a blood thinner, goes the reason must be more than substantial as someone who has taken a blood thinner. 
So I think Andrea is not understanding what our point is, which is there were maybe a handful of children a year that would need a blood thinner, right? For very rare and specific things, these are mostly paid kids with special and unique problems. So if you, I'm just going to make up numbers, say a hundred kids a year need blood thinners. That's a, that's a small profit margin, right? But now we're giving shots and we know now if a million kids need blood thinners and are running around, I don't want to be part of the decision. I don't want to have kids that are sick and need to be on blood thinners for something that they didn't need. Like the increase in the number of patients who are going to need that therapy is what I have a problem with. We do not want to create more kids who need to be on blood thinners. That is an extremely risky thing for them to be on. That's absolutely true. So thank you for all your insight today. I really appreciate it. I wish I could um, go to the Gateway to Freedom conference, um, but we already have other plans. But I am going to be making one of those conferences soon, and I hope to meet you at one of those conferences um, in the future. So thank you for being on our podcast today. You have helped us realize our goal of educating and empowering individuals to take charge of their own health. So thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. Have a great day. All right, listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. Um, As always, we will be back uh, Monday on our podcast, 1230 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. Um, Tune in. You don't want to miss out. Janet and I are going to be talking, as we often do, just to ourselves. We're going to have a guest, and we're going to have a special topic to talk about. So you don't want to miss out. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for tuning in.